95.3 KDKD, I'm Country Boy Don Williams, and it's time for a chat in the country, and today we're talking with astronaut Nicole Stott. How are you? I'm great, Don. How are you? Doing wow. doing great as well. Now, not only are you an astronaut, you're known as the artistic astronaut, but you're an aquanaut, an artist, a mom, and an earthling, and an author. <laughs> a lot of A words. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. And one of the things, we're going to talk about a little bit of everything here, Nicole. And first and foremost, thank you for uh, calling in today. We appreciate that very much. And we got some interesting things to talk about. We want to talk about your book, What Life in Space Taught Me About Our Home Planet and Our Mission to Protect It. Also, I want to talk a little bit about, of course, you being an astronaut. So can you give me a little bit of your backstory? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, I... Um... Well, from the astronaut standpoint, I was very fortunate to have the chance to fly in space twice, um, spent 104 days over those two missions, living and working on the International Space Station with the opportunity to get there and back on the space shuttle, which was awesome. And leading up to that, um, uh, just a, a young girl who loved flying, wanted to know how things fly, very thankful to my parents for Sharing what they loved with me, my dad built and flew small airplanes, so as kids we hung out a lot at the local airport, which is where I guess I developed that love. And that led to, you know, long story short, led to if you want to know how airplanes fly, why would you not want to know how rocket ships fly? Space shuttle program was getting up and running when I graduated from high school, and I just couldn't imagine not being a part of that in some way. But... Um, had the opportunity to work for about 10 years as an engineer for NASA over at Kennedy Space Center on the space shuttle and the space station program, getting all that hardware ready to fly. And then somewhere along the way, after many years of thinking astronaut was a job only for other special people, <laughs> I finally started thinking about it and um, reached out to some mentors that um, – that I really care about, and they encouraged me really to do nothing more than the one thing I had control of in the whole process, which was to pick up the pen and fill out the application. And very thankful to them, got selected in the astronaut class of 2000, and then had the opportunity to fly in space twice, and then now, very thankful to be able to use that experience to spread the word about all we're doing in space that's ultimately about improving life on Earth. And mixing that with a little art and sharing with that, some, that with some kids around the world. <laughs> now, one of the things uh, I want to know, did you always have an interest in art? I did always. I mean, I always loved artsy, crafty things, right? You know, my dad was building small airplanes, and I got to help him kind of build stuff, paint things, work on, you know, mechanically work on things. And I loved woodworking and putting stuff together. And I also loved ballet and learning how to paint. And you know, I mean, I just always kind of dabbled in it. I would, I would say that it was, you know, something I enjoyed, but really purely experimental, you know, from an art standpoint, not trained in any way, but, but just loved it. That's interesting. Now, did someone at NASA come up with the idea of you actually trying to do a watercolor in space, or was that your idea? Well, I think it was kind of a mix. You know, it was as I was getting closer to flying on my first mission, which is going to be a, a long duration mission. So I was going to be living and working on the International Space Station for a little over three months. And we have these really wonderful people that help us pack all of our stuff um, to take with us. And mostly, 
you know, they're they're packing the things that, you know, NASA is supplying for us. You know, the, the one pair of khaki pants I was going to have for three months in space and, you know, however many T-shirts and my toothbrush and, you know, the kind of stuff you need while you're there. But uh, one of those people was a dear friend, Mary Jane Anderson. And while we were getting stuff ready, she's like, you know, Nicole, you might want to think about taking something with you to do in your spare time that you enjoy doing down here on Earth. And I hadn't really thought about it that way. You know, we have an allotment, like this small little, like, toiletry bag size thing that you can bring up some personal items in. And I tended to focus those on, you know, my my son, who was seven when I flew the first time. I took up his little stuffed dog and my husband's, you know, favorite pen and pictures of my family and friends that I could take pictures of while I was in space and you know, a T-shirt for my high school, that kind of thing. I wasn't thinking about it from the standpoint of what it could be for me. And But I'm so thankful to Mary Jane because I chose to bring a little watercolor kit with me. Uh, again, never would have thought of that on my own. It turned out to be absolutely one of the personal highlights for me of flying in space. And I think about it like, you know, wherever humans go, we want to bring what we love with us, I think. And um, that's been going on since the beginning of human spaceflight. And for me, that was watercolor painting. And so thankful to have had that opportunity. Well, that's pretty awesome as well. Now, was it, I guess it's watercolor. So I guess what I'm trying to get at here is, <laughs> was paint like floating and water floating? And how did you do that? Yeah, it's, you know... I'm, I wish I would have activated my brain cell to videotape the whole thing because I think it would have been such a kind of special way to just demonstrate through watercolor painting what it's like to live in general as a human floating in microgravity. And um, sadly, I didn't, I didn't do that, but I, I am very thankful to my friend, my crewmate, Bob Thirst, for taking the one single picture that exists of me painting in space, but... It is. It's a totally different process, right? And everything about the way we live up there is a little bit different. You know, our bodies float. Everything floats. The fluids inside our bodies are floating up to the top of our heads. Everything behaves differently. And so to paint with watercolor, you know, I wasn't able to, you know, fill a cup of water and dip my brush into that because we don't have cups that we fill with water. So I squirted out a little ball of water from my drink bag and dipped my brush into it and I say dipped into it and that was that was weird too like you know everything doesn't just behave differently but the properties of stuff is different so this floating ball of water has you know like unique surface tension properties and little kind of um I don't know um like static going on and so as I would bring the tip of the brush towards this floating ball of water before I even touched the tip to the water, it was like the water wanted to move onto the end of the brush. And then there was this floating ball of water on the end of the brush that I had to really carefully take down to the paint, but then wanted to suck the water off the brush. It was the most, it was just like the weirdest thing to watch. <laughs> and then you have the floating ball of colored water on the brush. And, and if I, I learned that if I touched, actually touched the brush to the paper, the whole blob of colored water would go over to it. So I had to be very careful about just using the brush as a tool to drag the colored water along the paper. And so a whole different, interesting process 
that wasn't necessarily more difficult. It was just different because of this unique environment that I was living in. That is amazing. And I <laughs> thought there had to be challenges to doing that. There just had to be. But yeah, I can, I can see that. You got a little blob of water there and you're trying to put it on the canvas and it just blop. <laughs> That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's to suck it in. And it's, it's so weird because, um, I don't know, I just love that, that, just the whole experience of it, right? You know, and, and to me, it really did. It kind of defined, wow, this is what this environment's all about. We're able to look at things differently, right? And that's everything from the way we would do art to how scientifically we can look at stuff and just see things in a whole new way. And I don't, I don't know. I, I just think it's, it's so neat that as humans, too, we want to bring that with us, right? You know, there's musical mm-hmm. instruments up there, people writing poetry, you know, um, sewing, I mean, just creating while they're there as well. And that piece is now in the Smithsonian, is that right? It is. Right now there's a print of it in the Smithsonian. The original was there for a while, and then they've done a really major um, renovation there over the last couple years, and they asked me to take the original back (laughs) while they did that, and um, I'm hopeful that it'll get it back there. But there is a nice, they did a really nice print that they have on display there as well. Now, is that in the space section of the Smithsonian? Yeah, it's in the Air and Space Museum. That's actually on the, um, what do they call that? The, you know, the big um, square where all the museums are. Okay. Um, because there's another space, you know, there's the Udvar Hase that's out by the airport and where, where Discovery is, where the space shuttle that I flew on is, is on display. Um, I'm actually hopeful that maybe one day we can get, even if it's a print of it, out near the the shuttle out there as well. That would be awesome. You have a foundation. Tell us a little bit about that, your Space for Art Foundation. Yeah, I, you know, thanks for asking too. Um, I I, I really feel like this is my next mission in life. You know, I got to go to space. I did, you know, really had this opportunity to work with this international community on all of this stuff that really and truly is ultimately about improving life on Earth. I mean, and I thought, man, how could it get any better than that? And with this experience of flying it, or I'm sorry, of painting in space too, when I was thinking about retiring from NASA, I wanted to find kind of a unique and meaningful way to share that experience. And I kept coming back to that painting. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to paint for fun anyway. Why don't I pull the art and the space stuff together? And was very fortunate to get invited to participate in a project um, at one of the local hospitals in Houston where... Uh, the gentleman who ran the art and medicine program there was wanted to do something space-themed with the kids in the pediatric cancer center. And so we ended up doing these art spacesuits um, from the very first event there with these kids, which I thought would be, oh, I'm going to go paint with these kids. It's going to be awesome. And then it would just be this one-off thing. <laughs> and yet, I mean, I felt while I was there working with these children, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is this inspiration of space and the outlet that these kids have through the creativity of their own artwork, it's going to come together in something bigger and that they'll see come together with kids, you know, that are going through something similar to them. I mean, it was like a transcendent experience for them and for me to watch how, you know, these children who are going through what you hope is the worst thing they ever have to experience in their life are inspired by the space, they're creating their art, they're sitting up straighter, they're talking about their futures. And again, Don, I'm a rambler. Um, Long story short, that that experience in that one hospital led to a small group of us coming together 
to create the Space for Art Foundation. We work with kids all over the world now, um, in hospitals, refugee centers, orphanages. And we, we honestly believe that we are uniting a planetary community of children through the awe and wonder of space exploration and the healing power of art. And it has just been... I know it's life-changing for me to see how, um, and I hope for these kids too, to see how uh, this experience in space can come back to Earth and really, you know, like lift up a whole other group of people in a meaningful way. That is fantastic. Nicole, how does someone go and find this on your website? Yeah, they can, you know, a couple ways. I mean, if you go to my website, which is NicoleScott.com, there is a link to the Space for Art Foundation. But I'd suggest go just go directly to Space for Art. It's um, spaceforartfoundation.org. And, of course, we're all over the, you know, Instagram and the Facebook, too. Um, try to keep things up to date there. But I think people can get a, get a pretty good understanding by um, going to the website as well. That is pretty awesome. One of the other things that I found interesting that I did not know that astronauts did was the, uh, what do you call it, the Aquanaut program? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, oh my gosh, it's, you know, talk about, we joke, we're like, oh, we get to go live and work in inner space to learn how to live and work in outer space, right? And so um, there's this program called NEMO that NASA has, the NASA, you know, because you always want an acronym, it's the NASA Extreme Environment Mission Operations, which I don't know if that would ever lead you to believe anything about it being an underwater experience, but other than NEMO. Right. (laughs) And... And, yeah, there's this um, school bus-sized habitat that sits at 60 feet underwater off the coast of Key Largo, Florida, called Aquarius. It's the only undersea habitat like it in the world. And, you know, other organizations like the Navy and science groups use this, this place, too. But NASA does to bring crews of astronauts down into this extreme environment where you live. We were there for 18 days, which was extraordinary. And to live and work there like you would be living and working in space. And it is absolutely the best analog to living and working in space, you know, because it is, it's a real extreme environment where once you're down there um, at 60 feet underwater for an hour, you can't just swim safely to the surface anymore, right? You've got mm-hmm. your body so saturated with nitrogen that you have to go through like a whole special process to depressurize in order to get that nitrogen out. And so just like in space, where if something goes wrong, you can't just, you know, hop in your spaceship anytime you want and then head back to Earth. You've got to learn how to deal with that with your crew in that place. And it's, it's extraordinary. Um, the experience you have getting ready to fly in space, but also this just awesome presentation of our planet. <laughs> where it's, you know, you're in this really gorgeous preserved reef area in the Keys. Um, The wildlife there, the sea life is just, it's abundant, it's beautiful, it's surrounding you. And it's like you're just immersed in the planet and experiencing it in a whole new way, which is what happens to us when we go to space, too. Except for in that case, it's like we're wrapped around it. And um, I don't know, the appreciation I think you gain for who and where we are on a planet in space is pretty special too. Yes, it is indeed. And how do you handle like a medical emergency in space or even underwater? And what if it's serious? We train for that before flying in space or before going down to uh, the Aquarius habitat. 
in the in the undersea version of of this kind of scenario going on, I think it's a little more straightforward. Um, we have equipment on board the habitat, but there's people, you know, topside, like on the surface or at the the topside base, that could get to us pretty quickly. We we would have to go through a whole process to get whoever's injured back up to the surface safely, but we can do that in the habitat over like a 24-hour period. And I think they even have an expedited way to depressurize the habitat and get somebody who needs to to the surface. But it's pretty easy for people on the surface to access us. So they can send down, you know, the medical expertise to help us out um, with whoever would need it. In space, it's a little different. Um, We do, in extreme cases, have the opportunity to put somebody in a spaceship and fly home. But then you've got to balance out, is that going to be more life-threatening to them than us trying to deal with this on the space station? Where we have, man, we have a suite of, you know, of equipment and, you know, medicines and tools to, to deal with pretty much anything. And we also have access to our, you know, our medical expertise down on the ground by, you know, just communicating with them. Um, using video to help them guide us, which we practice all the time, and, you know, and do our best to, to take care of each other. Um, and like I said, if necessary, strap somebody in and get them back to Earth. One more quick question, Nicole. Uh, your first book, Back to Earth, What Life and Space Taught Me About Our Home Planet and Our Mission to Protect It. Tell us a little bit about writing the book. Oh, well, the, writing the book, I have to tell you, Don, I think that was that was the most difficult thing I've ever done. <laughs> you know, you know, some people just have like a talent. We have our talents, right? Right. And I think, you know, correct, right? And so I, um, I think we ended up with a really wonderful, um, with a really wonderfully written book. I'm very thankful to a woman named Robin Colucci that I had as a book coach uh, to help me along the way. Uh, my publisher didn't let me have a, a ghostwriter, so um, which I thought everybody does now. <laughs> right? <laughs> I guess not. AI or something? Yeah. You know? No, no. That, yeah. I wonder what it would have been written like if I had had that whole chat GPT thing do it. That would be funny. But um, very thankful for the support I had along the way with that, too, just because of how different it was to anything else I'd ever done before. And I, I didn't have any desire to write the memoir you know I didn't want to do the here's how Nicole became an astronaut story and I love those stories but I didn't feel like that was you know that was the purpose you know for me to write a book and so I wanted to take it more from what are the ways that we have somehow (laughs) come together as an international community peacefully successfully to live and work on this mechanical life support system in space for over 20 years now, where everything we're doing together really and truly is ultimately about improving life on Earth. And how could I share that story with people in a way that would, you know, remind us all that, oh, my gosh, we live on a planet in space. (laughs) We are all Earthlings. Only border that matters, that thin blue line of atmosphere, and that if we were to choose to behave like crewmates, like we do on a mechanical, you know, space station life support system, if we were to choose to behave like crewmates and not passengers, that we absolutely have the power to create a future for all life on Earth that's as beautiful as it looks from space. And that, you know, the stories that are there of people both on Earth and the work that we're doing in space and 
you know, some of the anecdotes through my training and experience there um, hopefully will be, you know, for the people that read it, will will turn into some kind of call to action for them uh, with respect to their, their planet and place um, on it. What is the biggest thing that you learned from your experiences of being in space? One final, <laughs> one final message and lesson, I guess. I, you know, I think what I, what I really just said is it, is that, you know, there's all this complexity in what we do to just get out of gravity's hold on us on this planet, to live and work in space for even a short period of time, get home safely, not to mention even all the science and the international partnerships and all that has to go into the technology to make that happen. And I really feel like it, it came down to those, you know, to those three simple lessons and the kind of the overarching approach of just needing to consciously remember that we live on a planet, we are all earthlings, only border that matters is that thin blue line of atmosphere, and this, just the significance in our accepting our role as crewmates here on Spaceship Earth. I love that. Nicole Stott, astronaut, the artistic astronaut, aquanaut, artist, mom, and earthling. Thank you so, so much for checking in with us today. Thank you.